Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. From pipelines to the clean power plan, there is significant time spent debating, and at times decrying, federal policies, regulations, and energy legislation. But on today's podcast, we want to bring it back home and talk about what's going on at the state level. In the last few years, the state of Michigan dealt with an energy crisis in the UP, public concern over pipelines spanning the Straits of Mackinac, the looming shutdown of a significant portion of the state's baseload energy capacity, and a complete revision of the state's energy policy. With all due respect to the feds, I think it's fair to say we have a lot going on here in Michigan as well. So joining us today to talk about both the challenges and opportunities we have as a state is Tony Anderson, our general manager at Cherryland. Hey, Tony. Good afternoon, Rachel. And we also have a great um, and fun guest who's calling in for us, and that's Valerie Brader, the executive director for the Michigan Agency for Energy. Hi, Valerie. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And previously, Valerie worked for Governor Snyder as his deputy. Deputy Legal Counsel and Senior Policy Advisor, and so certainly you're going to bring a lot to the conversation, but Valerie, to kick us off, do you think you could just tell us about the Michigan Agency for Energy and what its role is? Sure. The Michigan Agency for Energy has as its mission statement to deliver affordable, reliable, and environmentally protective energy future for Michigan. And that's really one of our goals is to work with partners and ensure that when we have policies, they really help achieve those goals. And we do things from helping your average individual try to negotiate what may be available to administering federal grants, to helping with low-income programs, and also dealing with energy emergencies. So we don't actually decide the rates of anybody, uh, whether it's their co-op board doing it for folks like Cherryland or the Michigan Public Service Commission for the for-profit utilities. We really go look at Michigan's goals and policy objectives and figure out the best way to achieve them. So if people have concerns with their rates, they, they shouldn't necessarily be calling you. Is that the takeaway there, Valerie? Well, they're welcome to call us. We um, are happy then to direct them to those who can be of more help, but we also can help when bills are confusing or I don't understand what this, what's happening here. Just help people sort through that. Great. In 2016, the legislature passed energy reform that really built on the PA 295 from 2008, that, that energy bill. One of the elements of that bill was an increased renewable portfolio standard and the introduction of a goal of 35% renewables. To be clear, not a mandate, a goal of 35% through a combination of renewables and energy waste reduction. What type of renewables would you like to see expand? Well, we really want that to be the choice of the individual utilities. You know, Cherryland's a great example of having done some real innovation in solar and really responding to what their members wanted. We see in different places wind energy has been the major driver to date. Uh, But there's all sorts. There are places where um, small hydro or biomass make a lot of sense. So the legislation doesn't decree, hey, this is what we'd like to see. We really want to leave that open so as technology changes or when different utilities have different opportunities that they can take advantage of that. Does the, um, I mean, one of the things that changed in this bill is that we're no longer required to get all of those renewables from inside the state. Does the, does the um, MAE have a, a perspective on what, what's the right portion of in-state versus out-of-state renewables? Well, we do have some utilities that 
uh, serve more than one state, and so that can be a pretty difficult requirement for them to meet. In addition, there are some uh, requirements that federal law places on what kind of restrictions you can have. But in general, what we've seen in Michigan is that we have been able to develop very cost-effective resources within our state. And certainly, given that we have a lot of requirements to have uh, facilities within the state, especially in the Lower Peninsula for reliability reasons, the Upper Peninsula as well for grid support, we would expect that kind of regardless of what the law says, a lot of those will get built in Michigan because we have good locations, good sites, utilities want to put their generation, their load whenever possible. So I think that whether the law says to or not, you will see a lot of that development within Michigan. We're seeing a lot of zoning problems with big wind farms. Is that what you're seeing at your level? And is there any solution coming down the road for zoning for wind? Well, in terms of a solution, I think that this really comes down to local decision-making under Michigan's law, which the most recent energy legislation affirmed. In general, what we've seen is that those utilities who compensate across a whole footprint for wind tend to have fewer complaints on the zoning side than those who only pay people who have the turbine on their property. So we see the most complaints come from areas where um, the, the turbine might be closest to your neighbor's house, but because it's on your land, you're the only one seeing a financial benefit. That tends to create the most strain in zoning. But ultimately, where we come down is this is a local decision, uh, as would be uh, zoning for a whole host of other facilities. And there is affirmation in the recent legislation that that remains a local issue. That being said, when folks have questions or want to know what resources are out there or see a variety of ordinances that have been adopted across Michigan, we're happy to give them that information so that they can see for themselves what other communities have done. So one of the things we um, hear a lot up here in our areas that like a lot of our members would really like to see an increase in the amount of solar power production in Michigan. What kind of on your end at the state level do you see as the potential for that and what things can we do at the state level to um, you know I don't know accommodate or, or lead to more solar development? Well, I think one of the things that we've seen that's been a change, even just while I've been in this role, is how much cheaper solar has gotten. Um, you know, in, even in 2012, it was hugely more expensive than a lot of other resources, and we've seen much, much lower contracts come in where solar can be cost competitive with anything. Uh, so I think part of it is understanding what we can do to make that cost make sense for folks because, in general, solar tends to be a lot easier to site. Fewer people are upset with the panels compared to the you know, wind energy. It can go in more spots, but I'm trying to make sure that those larger-scale developments, as well as understanding the value that solar has, one of the things that the new legislation does is ask the Michigan Public Service Commission to look in a very specific way about the value of solar. When it comes to a summer peaking utility, like most of those in our lower peninsula, that means that you have the biggest demand at the height of the summer when everyone's air conditioning is turned on, that solar can be really valuable. 
if it's coming in at a time when there's plenty of other power, it can be less valuable. So it really depends on a utility-by-utility basis and state-by-state basis how valuable solar is. And so I think it's terrific that one of the things we'll do is be able to take a very specific look and make sure that that value of solar is taken account for both the you know, homeowner that might want to install solar panels, but also for the larger utility installations that can occur. What do you think our biggest energy waste reduction opportunities are as as the state of Michigan? Well, Michigan has a huge amount of energy waste reduction opportunities. If you look overall, Michigan's housing stock is a little bit older than a lot of our neighbors, and that tends to mean that it didn't have quite as good insulation, maybe wasn't able to take advantage of some of the new products that have been developed by a lot of companies, including those in Michigan. Uh, that they also, you know, just on lighting alone, we've seen school districts save huge amounts of money. And on the industrial side, redoing your fans, redoing things like that are a major savings. We had one facility that won the governor's Energy Excellence Award that didn't do any new construction, so didn't do any insulation, didn't do anything like that, and managed to drop their energy bills by 75% by figuring out how to better use their fans and replacing some very old fans. So there are a ton of opportunities out there. For your average homeowner, it's probably making sure that your lights are, you know, have those new light bulbs and getting some insulation in the right spots. We just did it at my house. It made a huge difference. Uh, whether some of the new furnaces, um, even 15 years ago, your furnace was probably, you know, 80% efficient, and now there are ones 90, 92, 96% efficient for either the same amount of money or just a little bit more. So there really are a lot of opportunities as people improve their homes to be more comfortable at a lower cost of energy than they had before. So making sure that we get that message out because whether it's in the homeowners or the commercial or the industrial sector, we've seen major opportunities for Michigan, and it's a great way to lower everyone's bills, um, most especially those who take advantage, but even the rest of us, it's cheaper to buy your neighbor's insulation than Wyoming's coal. Well, that's true, but there isn't a lot of incentives on the insulation side. You know, we've had the EO program for years. It's now the Energy Waste Reduction Program for years. And there isn't a lot of incentive to do insulation. And I totally agree with you that that's a big piece of where the energy savings are. But um, if I have a low-income person who can't afford it and I got a utility who's not incentivized to do it, the insulation doesn't get done. What's the solution there? Well, there's a couple of things. The first is that the new legislation does increase the potential incentives that utilities can have, and it also allows utilities that are rate regulated to look at recovering some of the costs of these in different ways. So it lets the MPSC look at maybe making that more attractive. The other thing that I think we want to work with, and again, Cherryland's been a real leader in identifying this, is that our natural gas utilities and our electric utilities all have to reduce waste, but they those programs don't always coordinate and make it make sense together. Uh, and so that's something where we want to work with folks to come up with ways to improve our program. You know, we've had these programs mm-hmm. in place for a little over six years now, and we've already saved us $4 billion with 
good ideas and, and feedback from folks about how we can improve these programs, I think we'll be able to do that and more in the future. But it's going to be key to have good utility partners like Cherryland identifying these problems and helping us work through them because making sure that you know, cost-effective insulation can get installed and that that's not disadvantaged. You know, we need to solve that to ensure that we can advance Michigan in this way. Yep, I totally agree. So uh, another thing that kind of came up during the 2016 energy legislation debates was kind of debates over energy choice and generating capacity in Michigan that just seemed to be really hot topics. So I um, kind of wanted to get your perspective on what is – what is the state of Michigan's energy generating capacity? So in general, when we talk about the lower peninsula, we have to have about 90% of our demand met with in-state resources just because of the physics of the grid. It changes a little bit year by year, but that's a good rule of thumb. And what we were looking at was with all of the coal plant closures that were coming along, we are running a lot closer to that cushion than we used to. And the concern was making sure that everybody, no matter who you're a customer of, is helping to pay for the plants we need. So electricity is a little different from most products in that if we don't have enough supply to help everybody, nobody gets any power. What I mean by that is the grid actually collapses if supply doesn't meet demand. So if we don't have enough supply and all those air conditioners kick on at the wrong moment, it can cause really widespread problems and problems that take hours and hours and hours to fix. So one of our goals was to make sure we don't ever face those kind of outages. And the new legislation really is innovative and helping to do that. It ensures that every supplier of electricity gets a chance to meet their share of the reliability requirements and that if some can't do so, there's a fallback where they pay a fee to the provider of last uh, provider of last resort, which are the folks who have to provide you electrical service if you want it, and they will provide it. Uh, so they they go and procure it. They get three years advance notice so that they have time to actually buy something and get it in place before the requirements would kick in. So it was a really innovative way of addressing Michigan's challenges and ensuring that we build enough plants that we don't have those outages but not create a burden that eliminates the ability for some of Michigan's largest employers to take advantage of market rates for electricity. And so trying to balance those two interests was very difficult, but a lot of people came together, and it's why the bills were overwhelmingly passed in both houses, because we were able to find a way to bridge those two interests. So in, ter- in terms of those, those last resort providers or those incumbent utilities, how much capacity do you think they will build over the next, let's say, I mean, five to 10 years or or further out? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's actually one thing that the legislation helps us answer. So it, it requires all of our rate-regulated utilities to come in and file what are known as integrated resource plans in which they essentially show a prediction for what their demand is going to be, talk about ways they're either going to reduce that demand by reducing energy waste or other programs, or they look at how they're going to meet that long-term in the supply. 
and able to look at all ways of meeting that supply sort of equally. So not, hey, I do my renewables over here, and I do my waste reduction over there, and I do my new plants in this other process, but bringing them all together so you get a holistic picture before you're approving these costs of how you meet all your supply. And so that's something that's really important for Michigan because I think if you look at what's happening in terms of electrical demand, it used to always grow when the economy grew. And in the last several years, we've seen the economy grow without that electrical demand grow, in part because of these waste reduction resources. And in fact, our grid operator for much of the Lower Peninsula recently said, you know, this year we're not requiring as much capacity as we expected because the uh, load forecast had a lot more energy efficiency or energy waste reduction than we had expected to see. So we're trying to, instead of assuming you can know where you'll be 10 years from now, trying to be realistic about what the load is going to be and, and how you need to support it. And so one thing that I think is exciting about this law is it doesn't just say, as some states have, save this plant or build that plant, and that will be the way we solve our problems. It allows us to adapt to new technologies, new situations, and really get a long-term view on our financial decision-making. You mentioned the 2016 energy package. We spent a lot of time working on that. The legislature did, and I do believe, I do agree with you that it had bipartisan support and a lot of support. But now today we're hearing the the chair of the House Energy Committee, Gary Glenn, would like to indicate he'd like to reopen the energy package. So we're I'm sitting here and wondering what's he trying to accomplish, and will he be successful? So I think Representative Glenn is one of the folks who uh, did vote against the package, um, but it, while praising it for having come a long way, his goal, as I've heard him describe it, is to really look at some of the um, ability for not just 10% of Michigan customers, but for all Michigan customers to be able to select their electric provider for their energy in the same way we do for natural gas today. That's a pretty uh, big shift from our current market structure. It, it takes us back to where we were in 2000. Uh, we were in a very different place prior to 2000 in which mm -hmm. nobody could do that. Um, so we've seen different mechanisms go forward, and, and Representative Glenn, who chairs the House Energy Committee, is a very strong proponent of letting everybody essentially select their electric supplier. I think Senator Knopf in the House is one or in the Senate, excuse me, is one of the sponsors of the legislation that was signed into law, feels pretty strongly that he thinks it was a good effort and he's not inclined to reopen it this year. So we'll see what happens. Our main goal is to ensure that what did get passed and comes into effect on April 20th, we apply as well as we possibly can to make sure that we are achieving that affordable, reliable, environmentally protective energy future that Michiganders want. So, Valerie, I kind of want to um, talk about some news that might be old news, but it could rear its head again. Um, Michigan's Upper Peninsula has faced several challenges when it comes to electric supply in the last few years. Uh, a, a major choice customer up, up in the UP decided to elect 
to get their electricity from a different supplier. And as a result, their incumbent supplier said, hey, we're going to shut down this plant. But that plant was integral to keeping the lights on in the UP and, and throughout that whole process. I know you I know you worked very hard on that challenge, but I wonder if we could kind of talk in a bigger sense, kind of what, what do we need to do in Michigan in order to make sure that doesn't happen again in the future? What's What's the energy solution for the Upper Peninsula? So one of the things we face with the Upper Peninsula is that while overall there are a lot of plants that give supply, uh, the Upper Peninsula has traditionally had relatively few generating sources. So when any one of them looks to close, uh, it becomes a grid stability issue that has to get solved one way or another. So there was a situation you described. There were also recent proposals for closures of other plants, one in Escanaba, one in White Pine. Um, in all of these cases, um, the grid operator said, look, you can't close that plant. It's integral for grid support in that area. In some cases, there were they were able to find other technical solutions. In others, they had to build new transmission. Um, and in the case of the largest plant, a uh, uh, new pr- proposed plant to meet the demand needs is in right now the approval stages before the Public Service Commission. So, you know, depending on what they decide, that's probably the solution there. Um, I think when you look at it, what the Upper Peninsula has is a grid that covers an awful lot of people in an awful lot of places, but doesn't have a lot of generation kind of nicely scattered about, so to speak. The proposal uh, that's before the commission takes, instead of one big plant, creates two locations that are more modular, which looks pretty attractive. In addition, what the governor asked and the folks who administer the grid there agreed to do is to also study connecting the Upper Peninsula to our Canadian neighbors across the Sioux, as well as to the Lower Peninsula. We've had a lot of things change since the last time we looked at connecting the Upper Peninsula to the Lower Peninsula electrically, and certainly there have been a lot of changes right across the border in Canada. And so what we're excited about is the ability to understand whether there might be some long-term cost savings and reliability benefits of looking at those connections, and we're glad to be able to explore that because having a little more power flow might be a real key for the Upper Peninsula not to be in this constant situation where every plant that closes presents a reliability challenge. Do you think an improved tie to Canada could bring us more renewables as well? Yeah, one of the things that Ontario has really done is uh, build on the hydro that was already there. They've put an awful lot of wind as well as a natural gas plant not far across the border that's um, really underutilized. And so if that tie were to be created, um, we would be looking at a very clean mix of energy coming across that line. And that would benefit both the Upper and Lower Peninsula, right? I mean, clearly, if we can not only just improve the tie to Canada, you know, the banana Canada, to Canada, (laughs) then the the second step being if we can improve that tie down to the Lower Peninsula, is there benefit there? Yeah, that's exactly what the study is intended to find out. So in general, what you'd hate to discover is, hey, if you had just built a plant right here in the Lower Peninsula, we could have lowered everybody's costs for 
decades to come. And so one of the reasons we're excited that MISO is doing this study, they're the folks who run the grid in the area, is to be able to tell us, can we lower our costs by connecting this way? Look at all that generation. And on the Canadian side, you know, from the Sioux, it's basically getting shipped all the way down to Toronto. And then Detroit uses whatever Toronto hasn't sucked up. Um, They're very technical engineering ways. That's (laughs) probably an oversimplification. But in general, it's a nice way to think about it. Easy to understand, too. Yeah, exactly. And so some of the question is, if you, if you did a direct connect, you know, to the lower peninsula through the upper, would it not only kind of allow the upper peninsula to import from either the east or the west, which could make things a lot more cost competitive and more reliable, but could it also improve the economics for the lower peninsula by creating a more direct pathway for that energy? We don't know the answer, and that you need a lot of engineers to spend a lot of time to look at the economics and look at the physics to see what makes that work. And we're excited that MISO agreed to do that for Michigan because it's definitely something we want to look at. A long time ago, the federal government issued a permit that lets you drop an electrical line across the Sioux. We've never done it because until recently, people thought, well, it wouldn't make sense. But with all the changes on our side of the border and their side of the border, it's really a great chance to work together to see if connecting as neighbors could make sense for everybody. What's the timing for that study? When do you think it'll be done? We would expect preliminary results in the fall, and assuming that those preliminary results are good enough to, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's and do the last little bit of work, we'd we'd hope to have a full answer by the end of the year. Great. So I, I started the podcast by saying we weren't going to talk about the feds, but I changed my mind. There's there's a lot of uncertainty at the federal level about energy policy and what it's going to look like under the Trump administration. How does that impact us here in Michigan? Well, you know, we've been saying for years that it would be nice if the federal government would pick an energy policy, you know, take care of the nuclear waste, do other things that it's obligated to do. But the nice thing about Michigan is that our law that we just passed really lets us adapt to whatever the federal government does or doesn't do. So, for instance, we had worked out a whole way we thought that paying people for these plants that only run a few times a year but are necessary for our reliability could be worked out. Um, It turned out the federal regulators didn't approve some of the underlying uh, structure, but our law had a backup for, okay, if the feds don't do something, here's how we're going to go about it. Similarly, on the environmental side, you know, a lot has been talked about, about whether or not the clean power plan, which is also referred to as the carbon rule, uh, which restricted the amount of carbon that the electrical sector could emit, you know, whether it's in place or not. You know, for some states, that's a big deal. Wisconsin would be a great example of that. For Michigan, we did a study of the rule when it first came out and found out that we could do nothing differently for a decade and still be in compliance with it. You know, our energy system, because of the economics, because of existing rules, has already changed so much that at this point, um, you don't want to say that nothing the federal government does matters, because it does, but our new legislation really puts Michigan in the driver's seat for Michigan's energy policy, not Washington, D.C., and I think that's something that folks on both sides of the aisle think is valuable with all the uncertainty that the federal system has. I think those of us at the utilities agree with that statement or that position as well. We need to, you know, as much as we can, maintain our ability to make decisions that are in the best interest of the people we serve here. 
Yeah, that's something, again, that we've seen wide agreement. All kinds of utilities, all kinds of environmental groups, all kinds of businesses, and all kinds of citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always feel better when we get a bigger voice in, the, in that decision-making, and I think our legislation gives us that. We're getting close to the end of our time for this podcast, and Governor Snyder's in his last two years. Everybody knows. Have you any given any thought to where you go next at the end of those two years? What's What's the future for Valerie Brader? You know, uh, I'm happy to talk about that with people at some point, but so far the governor has been keeping me so busy with everything we got to get done this year, from the Line 5 studies to the uh, transmission study we talked about to implementing this new legislation. I haven't really had a chance to give it a ton of thought. Very good. Fair enough. Michigan's lucky to have you as long as we can keep you, Valerie. Yeah, we very much appreciate the good work that you do. Well, we're really happy to have such great partners like Cherryland. You guys have really shown a lot of innovation and leadership in the state, so it's exciting to be able to work with such great partners. Thank you again for taking – I know how busy you are, so thank you for taking time out of your busy busy day to sit down with us and talk through some of the stuff. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm always delighted to. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you.